When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. College Football Live is presented by Dr. Pepper. Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney has more than 11 million reasons to be happy on this Thursday. Dabo has a new deal and it runs through the 2031 season, averaging $11.5 million over the next 10 years. That's the highest average annual salary among head coaches at public institutions it trails only Nick Saban who got a raise last month right behind Sweeney Georgia head coach Kirby Smart perhaps no coincidence that these coaches have combined to win six of the eight national championships in the college football playoff era happy to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon I'm Wendy Nix for College Football Live with Stanford Steve and our job to get you ready for week two. What do you need to know? Well, there are a number of notable names with big games this weekend, perhaps chief among them, Alabama and Texas. The Tide head to Austin to take on the Longhorns. The first time these two teams have met since the 2010 National Championship, a matchup Longhorn fans remember all too well, but for all the wrong reasons. Then at 3.30 Eastern on ABC, it's Tennessee, Facing off with the Pitt Panthers, the fourth meeting all-time between these two schools. Pitt has won the previous three, including in Knoxville last season. And after jumping all the way to the number 12 spot in this week's AP poll, Florida plays host to Kentucky. The first time since 07 these teams have met when both are ranked. How about J.J. McCarthy? He'll make his first career start when Michigan plays host to Hawaii. The Wolverines, how about this, a 51-and-a-half-point favorite, the largest spread they've been against an FBS team over the last 45 years. And then at 7.30 Eastern on ABC, number 10 USC with all the hype, pays a visit to Stanford. The Trojans coming off a 52-point win in their season opener against Rice, while the Cardinals have lost seven straight against FBS opponents dating back to last year. And then our nightcap on ESPN, Baylor against BYU. The Bears have won five of their last six against ranked opponents, including a victory against BYU last season. Despite that recent success by Baylor against ranked teams, BYU is a three-point favorite against the Bears. Alabama a 20-point favorite against Texas in the first meeting, as I mentioned, since the 2010 National Championship game. Here now, a look back. I do think you're going to see a different Texas team in this game. Is it going to be good enough to beat Alabama? I don't know. Colt McCoy has just gone out of the football game. He took a hard knock. He ran off the field. Here's the give up the middle. Big hole. He may go. 10-5. Touchdown, Alabama. Shovel pass going forward. Look out. It's intercepted. Marcel Darius has it. The 15 to the 5. Touchdown, Alabama. Alabama wins its 13th national championship. 
Well, these two teams have headed in the opposite direction since that meeting. Since the start of the 2010 season, Alabama leading the FBS in win percentage, both overall and in games against ranked opponents. On the other hand, Texas has twice as many losses as it has wins against ranked opponents during that time. Joining us now as well, Eddie Royal. And Eddie, let's start with what could be the X factor in this game. We talked about it earlier. How important do you think schematics will be? They're everything. And so if you want to beat Alabama, you got to have a great scheme in place. So everybody knows that Texas is going to want to run the ball, right? You got one of the best running backs in the country. So Alabama's built to stop the run. And then Xavier Worthy over top, he's the deep threat. But the guy that you got to pay attention to is that big tight end Sanders. He's going to be Quinn Ewers' favorite target, and he needs to get him involved over the middle of the field so that Xavier Worthy can maybe open up later on in the game, and then you can implement that play-action fake a little bit. But you got to start with getting those nerves and those jitters away from Quinn Ewers and getting that ball to Sanders over the middle so he, and see what he can do with run after the catch. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, Eddie. Uh, and if you remember, you know, Steve Sarkeesian was at Alabama when Will Anderson was a true freshman. So he knows what he's up against when it comes to Alabama up front. And that's where I think this game starts. I think Alabama's going to be fine on the offensive side against an undermanned Texas uh, defense. But what does Steve Sarkeesian do knowing what that, that, that player is in Will Anderson? Does they try and run jet sweeps to him? They try and screen him? They try and get him run side to side? That's what I want to see. Sark's, you know, very highly thought of as an offensive play caller. So this is the attack I want to see. What does he try to do? Because on the other side, you got Dallas Turner, who's also a phenomenal edge guy. How do they handle that with the youth on the offensive line? So uh, we'll see that from Sark. I'm really excited to see what he comes out for a game plan. Yeah, and Steve, I feel like you definitely got to mix it up a little bit and, and maybe throw in a wrinkle, maybe an onside kick here, maybe a couple trick plays because that <laughs> defense is too good for you to just play in and play out, just keep playing normal ball. So you got to find some way to get some trickeration in there. All right, guys, uh, listen, this is a big game, certainly perhaps bigger for Texas. Sark has said he doesn't want this to be a litmus test for the season, but the reality is when you go up against the best, that's exactly what it is. We'll be talking plenty more about Alabama and Texas as we continue here on College Football Live. Dabo Sweeney with a new deal. Does he also have questions at quarterback, or is it far too soon to talk about a switch at signal caller for the Tigers? We'll talk about that when College Football Live continues. And a showdown in the swamp. We've got Kentucky and Florida. Is it possible to see the Wildcats pull off two in a row? The X's and O's of this game when we come back. College Football Live is presented by delicious ice-cold Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to College Football Live, presented by Dr. Pepper. 
Well, listen, talk about getting ahead of the curve. Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney has agreed to a new 10-year, $115 million contract today, the largest college football coaching contract by total compensation. He's got some competitors when it comes to the next year or two in terms of yearly salary. But, uh, Steve, listen, uh, you know, he's earned it. I give you that. But, uh, but interesting timing. And, uh, again, uh, Clemson sort of ups the ante and puts him at the top of the list. I say good for all of for Dabo, good for his agent, good for the university. And I just think about sometimes there's not a price where you could put on for somebody that's done something like Dabo has for that university and that football program, winning multiple national championships and put him on at the top of the map in the sport. So happy for everybody involved. Well-deserved to Dabo. Yeah, I agree, and I miss the days of when you thought about a school, you knew who that coach was, whether it was Florida State and Bobby Bowden or Virginia Tech and Frank Beamer. So now Dabo being at Clemson for 10 more years, he can submit his legacy there even more, and he's deserving of it. Everybody, it's a win-win for everybody. It's interesting, guys, though. The one thing these contracts don't have is any kind of penalty if these coaches decide to leave for the National Football League. You know they're happy where they are. I know what they say, but there's always that little bit of a challenge that's out there. And again, Dabo, like many of his competitors, can leave for the NFL uh, with no penalty. Not that we're starting rumors. He's probably not going anywhere. Stay right there in Death Valley. Uh, let's take a look at our Dr. Pepper Championship Drive Game of the Week. Saturday's showdown in the swamp will mark just the fourth time in the AP poll era that Kentucky and Florida meet when both teams are ranked. That dates back to 1936. Florida won two of the previous three, including the most recent game in 2007, behind a five-touchdown performance by Tim Tebow. Uh, Steve, listen, uh, it's a big win coming out of week one, but let me ask you this. Are you satisfied with what you've seen from the Gators when you look ahead to Kentucky? Absolutely. But, Wendy, this is why you hire Billy Napier, to bring in a guy with stability and, and, and the mindset that he has. Because now, with the way the fan base is, we know how everybody gets crazy after a big win over a top-10 team. How do you manage these expectations? And how do you come out the following week knowing, getting every good you know pat on the back during this week? How do you respond to a team who's, you know, beaten you two of the last four years and brings a formidable physical challenge in Kentucky. That's what I want to see from Florida, the mindset and how they come out to start. Yeah, Steve, and I say, hey, forget the expectations. Take it all in. You, Florida hadn't been good for a while, and they got a quarterback who's, who's a legit Heisman hopeful, and people were talking about a potential number one overall draft pick. So I love the hype. I think Anthony Richardson is as good as advertised. What I saw on tape was amazing. The ball just came out of his hand, and it, and it just popped. I, it, there hadn't been a guy in a while that I watched tape, and I'm like, wow, he's different. But I said that about this guy, so I'm all in on Florida. Guys.com senior writer Andrea Adelson is covering this game, so we're going to talk a little bit more about the mood of both these programs. But, Andrea, first, I do want to go back to Coach Dabo Sweeney because you were the one that broke the news that, in fact, there was a new deal making him the highest-paid coach when you look at total compensation. What was the mindset with timing here if you're Clemson? Athletic director Graham Neff said he wanted to be proactive about this because he saw what was happening in the landscape. 
Nick Saban is getting a big contract. Kirby Smart is getting a big contract. And they wanted to be able to show that Dabo Sweeney, to them, was worth every single penny of what he has meant to that program. He is the one, Graham Neff is the one, who reached out to Dabo Sweeney and his representatives saying, we need to get a deal done. And now this makes him the second highest paid coach behind Nick Saban. And when you look at it, those three coaches have won six of the eight national championships in the college football playoff era. That's why it was so important for Clemson to get this deal done. All right, we go back to Florida coming off the big win over Utah. Andrea, what's, what's the mindset or the mood, if you will, of this program after what can only be described as a pretty strong start? I can tell you the mood of the fan base. I was at the game against yeah, Utah last week. 90,000 people were there, and I went to Florida. I've been to a lot of Florida games. When Anthony Richardson made that two-point conversion, I have not heard that stadium louder. And now for this week's game against Kentucky, it is already a sellout. Florida fans are super excited about this program. But on the other hand, Coach Billy Napier wants to those expectations right now about Florida. Everyone's ready to crown the Gators, but the Gators have a lot of work to do. He wants to reinforce to his team. Yeah, I know we might be ranked number 12 right now, but there is a lot to clean up from that Utah game starting defense when they gave up over 200 yards rushing. Yeah, they made a pretty big leap up to number 12. He's going to have to channel his inner Denny Green. You want to crown him, crown him. Uh, but not just yet. Andrea, thank you. We look forward to a fantastic weekend in the swamp. We've also got to talk about Pittsburgh and Tennessee, of course. Let's look back first to last year. The now-departed Kenny Pickett threw for 285 yards, two touchdowns, as Pitt beat Tennessee by a touchdown. And, oh, by the way, the Panther defense, five sacks, two fumbles, an interception, and then a crucial fourth-quarter goal line stand to seal the deal. But let's talk about Hendon Hooker. He came off the bench for Tennessee in that loss to Pitt and threw for two touchdowns, all right? Since then, Hooker has started every game for the Vols, and he's been excellent, leading the SEC in touchdown-to-interception ratio and yards per attempt. Hooker has accounted for 38 touchdowns. That's the second most trailing, by the way, Bryce Young, which, Eddie, as we know, is some pretty good company. How different is this Hendon Hooker? Yeah, he's a much better pass. You could tell he's a lot more comfortable in the offense, and it's definitely going to be a challenge for Pittsburgh to stop them. What I'm going to be watching is on third downs. The communication between Servassier Dennis and Brendan and Brandon Hill in the back of that defense. Narduzzi wants to blitz a lot, and it's hard to blitz if you can't communicate the right plays and get the coverages in the right position. So, in the hooker in that offense is going to be tough, but I think Pittsburgh and Narduzzi is ready for the challenge. Steve, can the Panther defense manage t Tennessee? I, I absolutely. I, I love what they bring to a on the defensive line. Uh, you know, Eddie talked about what Narduzzi wants to do, but I think on the other side you could help yourself. We know Pat Narduzzi wants to run the football, so what is going to be happening on that side? The strength of Tennessee is not their defense, so I think Pitt is, is, has it has to have a mindset of keeping the ball in their hands and knowing how fast Tennessee wants to go on offense, try and keep the ball away from them and create big negative plays to make Tennessee's offense pretty predictable. Yeah, and you look at Keaton Slovis last week against West Virginia. When he was clean in the pocket, he looked like a first-round draft mm -hmm. pick. So Tennessee is going to have to get in there and get some hits on him if they want to affect him in that passing game. All right, Pitt, by the way, hosting a Southeast Conference team for the first time. 
If you haven't been following what's going on in Ann Arbor, let's remind you, there's not one but two quarterbacks, Jim Harbaugh, making the decision uh, to start both quarterbacks before he makes a final call. So up next, J.J. McCarthy. Uh, he'll make the start, and then ultimately QB1 will be determined. Here the head coach explains, though, how both of these quarterbacks have had plenty of opportunity. We plowed this ground about as thoroughly as it can possibly be be plowed. I mean, dating back to the summer when you asked the question, I said, yeah, one could start, the other could start, or could be a combination of of, of both in, in the games. Those are the those are the options. Uh, you know, happy happy that uh, you know we've still got a, another another week to look at it uh, as we. As we said, that each would each would get a start, and uh, you know, make it as fair as it can possibly be. All right, Stanford Steve, I say that to remind myself you're smarter than the rest of us. Okay, when I when I ask this next question, uh, what are, what are the expectations for McCarthy? Well, first of all, when they announced this matchup and, and when he's, who's going to start in what games, if I was J.J. McCarthy, I'd be pumped because we know how bad <laughs> Hawaii is. And now I look at the opportunity at hand, I think Harbaugh is going to roll every play in the playbook out, and now I can have some fun. I can take some chances that I might not against a conference opponent. In order to make that, that jump and, and declare myself the starter, I have the best opportunity possible when it comes to who started against what game. I'm not saying Colorado State's a, a top team, but they're a, they're a heck of a lot better than Hawaii. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think uh, Jim Harbaugh kind of, he set this one up perfect because J.J. McCarthy, I mean, when you watch him on tape, the coaches describe him as different. He's electric, and you see that on tape. I mean, it pops right out whether he's throwing the ball or he's running it. He's an explosive player who brings a different dynamic to this team. Now you really have to respect that RPO in, in that running game, so it's going to help mm. out Blake Corm as well. So. I already know who Coach Harbaugh wants. I think they know as well, and so do the players, and McCarthy's going to put on a show against Hawaii. Listen, Harbaugh's crazy like a Fox, guys. He's like, you, you start against Alabama, and you, you will start against Hawaii. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And we'll, we'll see how it all pans out. Uh, needless to say, though, he does play in the name of quarterback after this game. Says he'll stick with that as they go forward, but I do expect you'll see both as the season progresses. All right, still to come, it's Eddie George versus Primetime. Coach George checks in as Tennessee State gets set for Deion Sanders' squad. We'll have a preview of the HBCUs on deck. And while the Lincoln-Riley era at USC has everybody California dreaming, is it possible a trip up north could cause a rude awakening? What's up, fam? Welcome back to College Football Live along with Jay Walker. I'm Tiffany Green hitting you up with all the HBCU headlines. Obviously, there are a lot of people talking about Jackson State. However, they will be tested once again as they face off against Tennessee State. And Jay, let me tell you, looking forward to that Southern Heritage Classic could be the last time these two teams meet in that Classic. Well, absolutely. You know, hey, who better to talk about it? They've heard from us. Let's hear about one of the participants in that game there. Let's bring the head coach of the Tennessee State Tigers, Eddie George. Mr. George, you still got that shiny new look on you, even though it's your sophomore <laughs> season. I also ask the first question, if I can. Hey, what's been the difference in Coach George between year one and year two? 
Oh, wow. A lot. Um, golly, I, I kind of know my way around the facility better. Um, not dealing with COVID issues right now. Um, you, you know, it's been such a joy this first year, uh, just getting my, my sea legs underneath me, uh, just setting up my schedule, getting a spraying ball underneath me, get my first recruiting class in. And um, it's been a thrill. So I think now uh, things are starting to slow down. Uh, if you will, so I can start to see what this team truly needs on a day-to-day basis. But um, it's been awesome uh, this past year in terms of getting to know the kids and uh, getting our staff refined and and watching these kids grow um, over the summer and certainly uh, throughout our summer conditioning program. Heartfelt ball game well, against Eastern stuff. Washington, but you move ahead and look forward to this Jackson State team. Obviously, everyone saw what Shadour Sanders did last weekend. So how do you slow down that Jackson State offense? And more importantly, Tennessee State coming out with a win this weekend. Well, uh, Jay got upset with me because I didn't call him back the other night. Well, that's, that was because I was in the lab trying to cook up something to figure out how we stopped. I don't think you can stop him. All, all you can do is try to slow him down, try to confuse his looks. I mean, he looked dominant in his performance against uh, FAMU last week. Uh, see, he's so surgical in the pocket, so self-assured. Uh, he's unflappable. You can't get to him. Uh, he knows where to go with the football, in pressure, in zone. He just has a, he has an excellent football high, high, high IQ in football. And we're just going to have to do um, some things defensively to try to confuse him and hopefully get the best, try to get a rush that can get to him and, and um, get him out of off the spots. Uh, okay. I hear you, Coach. That's on that side of the ball. You got a pretty good football team <laughs> yourself. Tell me a reason why mm-hmm. offensively you think you guys can have successes in this game. Well, honestly, Jay, going into last week, um, you, you, we didn't know exactly what we had in the offense. We kind of had an idea. We had uh, some weapons that we picked up in the offseason. Draylon Ellis, uh, former quarterback from uh, Austin P, is now with us. Uh, he's our starting quarterback. Uh, Devon Starling had 200 yards last week. And we were able to uh, garner points um, by balance. And, uh, you know, our offensive line is a young offensive line. We're still getting better in that area. So if there is some hope for us, uh, we can try to keep that offense off the field by doing ball control and having a balanced attack. All right, Coach George, we appreciate the time and good luck this weekend. We'll all be watching in uh, to see how everything plays out for you. And your team. Hey, you want to see a sweet face? This is my this is my new baby Aww. here. So, yes, we're at the doctor's sweet office right now. She's getting indeed. her vaccines. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much, That's Coach. That's what's up, Coach. <laughs> well, with the remaining time, we'll sweeten the pot here a little bit as we head back over to Jay. And let's take a look at the power rankings for this week. I'm sure things have shifted a little bit after week one. Oh, yeah, big shakeup. And I think let's get it started right away. Florida A&M comes in at number five, considered to be one of the top HBCUs going into this season, coming off of two losses consecutive weeks. They look good against the University of North Carolina, did not look good against Jackson State a week ago. I've got the Rattlers coming in at number five on the list. Willie Simmons got to get it going to save their season. Number four, let's go on down to Baton Rouge, Southern University. What about a epic way to make an entrance to your first coaching debut at Southern Eric Dooley and the Jaguars put up 86 points against 
Florida Memorial, who is definitely outmanned, but 86 points is 86 points. They're doing a good job down there, Baton Rouge. Number three, most impressive victory of the weekend, possibly, was North Carolina Central defeating their Aggies of North Carolina A&T, the perennial power in HBCU football. But Trey Oliver got his most important victory of his young career with a quarterback like Davius Richard. Let's keep an eye on the Eagles. Number two, ugh, South Carolina State University, Buddy Pugh and the Bulldogs, the reigning HBCU national champions, they stall a slot, but it's no fault of their own. But Buddy Pugh will have the Bulldogs in contention with a very, very stingy, stingy defense that is capable of winning championships. So with that being all said, right, Jay, so I've got to know said, that a new number, at one. number one is probably going to be very obvious here for anybody living under a rock. If you haven't heard about who the I love, you're going to know about them right now. And yes, do you believe that's the key when you talk about jackson state they've got all the pieces of the puzzle that you want anytime you've got a quarterback playing at the level of a shador sanders and a defense that features the likes of travis hunter one of the best defensive players in all of fcs football they can run they can pass they can do it all and they've got that swag and they got a coach by the name of prime jackson state the number one hbcu football team in the country right now it's going to be on and popping this weekend. We appreciate those Jays power rankings. And right now, we'll send it back to you, Wendy. The touchdown, very fitting way for Alabama to put the seal on this. That championship trophy is headed back to Tuscaloosa. Alabama and Texas meet Saturday for the first time since the 2009 National Championship game. Since that game, the programs couldn't have gone in more different directions. The Crimson Tide will not be denied. Alabama is an FBS best 151 and 17 and has won five national titles. Texas is 84 and 67, which is one win better than Northwestern. In fact, Alabama has more wins by at least 24 points than Texas has wins in that span. Young dances, fires, end zone. Bryce Young saw his effort to join Archie Griffin as the only two-time Heisman Trophy winner get off to a good start. Young accounted for six touchdowns, and the offense showed no drop-off in last week's blowout win over Utah State. The Tide may have lost wide receivers Jamison Williams and John Mechie III, but Georgia transfer Jermaine Burton had two touchdown catches, while Georgia Tech transfer Jameer Gibbs had 93 yards and nine carries. Blocked! Swallowed! on the board. This is another chance for Texas to finally get a win versus one of college football's best. In his second year at the helm in Austin, Steve Sarkeesian has an opportunity to reverse a disturbing trend. No team lost more games last year than Texas when leading at halftime. The Longhorns lost four games when leading at halftime, three coming against teams which would finish in the top ten. In fact, in all three instances, Texas entered the fourth quarter with a lead. Now's the time to create an identity for yourself as a player and as a team. 
These games typically bring out the best in Alabama. Since a loss to Florida State in 2007, which was Nick Saban's first season with the Crimson Tide, Alabama is 14-0 in regular season non-conference games versus Power 5 opponents, winning by an average of 26.4 points per game. 12 of the 14 were decided by at least 16 points, and none were decided by single digits. We know Alabama is a national title contender. Saturday will provide another measuring stick as to the progress Texas has made and how far it has to go. Thank you. When you crunch those numbers, it really is sort of mind-popping what Alabama has done. College football writer Alex Scarborough joins us now. And Alex, listen, obviously Shark is at Texas, but the familiarity and the ties between these two teams go way deeper than that, yes? Absolutely. I think the only way they could be more familiar is if they were in the same conference, and we got to wait a few years for that. And you talk about players, Kylan Robinson, Jaleel Billingsley, and the transfer portal. Texas has five former Alabama coaches on its staff, including the offensive and defensive line coaches. So there's a lot there. But on the playing side as well, don't forget that Steve Sarkeesian played a pivotal role in getting Bryce Young to Alabama coaching him his freshman year there as well. So there, there's a lot of uh, nuance between those two. He's going to know. I think there's going to be some conversations between Sarkeesian and his defensive coordinator. Now, Nick Saban kind of chided the media a little bit earlier this week and said, look, you guys act like we don't know them too. There's a big difference, though. Sark is running his program as opposed to running Nick's program in Tuscaloosa. And Sark has that creative background as a play caller. You can rest assured he's going to try to come up with some kind of wrinkle for this game. Wait, Nick, Nick Saban chided the media? I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I, I've never heard of this. Uh, listen, obviously Alabama just rolled in week one exactly the way we all expected they would. And I understand it was Utah State with no disrespect intended. Uh, but, you know, with that said, what they, they, this is a different – the season will be different. What can they possibly be looking for, Alex, uh, moving away from that win and getting ready for Texas? Yeah, I mean, it was a historic win in a lot of ways, a 55-point margin. That's, I think, the highest margin victory in the season-opening game for Nick Saban's time at Alabama. Bryce Young ran for 100 yards for the first time in his career, but but that rushing total cuts both ways, right? Bryce is not what you would call a mobile quarterback. Just because he's athletic doesn't mean he likes to run. It was a little bit out of necessity there. And Nick talked about it after the game, the rushing – the planned rushing uh, rushes from those running backs, the push from the offensive line wasn't exactly what he wanted to see consistently. I think there's a lot of optimism with Eric Wolford, the offensive line coach from coming from Kentucky, but they want to see that come to fruition. Now, the good news for Alabama is this week they get Cam Latu, their tight end back. He, he set a school record for the most touchdown receptions by a tight end at Alabama a season ago. He missed all of preseason camp and the opener recovering from a lower leg injury. So they're going to get him back. They say he's 100% healthy and gives Young just another weapon to attack that Texas defense. Well, I do know this, Alex, if there's any coach in the country that could make his team feel like they did something wrong after a 55-point win, it's Nick Saban. You know, I remember when Mark Ingram won the Heisman and we were talking after as he was getting ready for the next game, he said, man, it's like Coach Saban's mad at me or something. Uh, he, is, uh, he is certainly one to keep his team grounded. We're looking forward to it. Thank you. Uh, still to come on College Football Live, we go channel surfing in the ACC. How about Clemson? Any quarterback questions? Some good news uh, for Wake Forest when they get their signal caller back and the BC Eagles desperately need a win. So why is this place so special, Ty? 
Well, scaling Y Mountain's like a rite of passage for every freshman quarterback. If you can survive this in the desert heat, you can handle any backside blitz. You really think you're gonna need those? I grew up with Peyton. Over-preparing is in my blood. Just be glad I didn't bring a tent. Well, we count our blessings. Time for our weekend wake-up brought to you by Wendy's Breakfast. And for that, we stick with Ty Detmer's Automata BYU. The Cougars, a three-point favorite against Baylor, primarily a result of having home field advantage. Since Dave Aranda took over at Baylor in 2020, the Bears are 12-2 and in home or neutral site games compared to 3-7 and on the road. As we welcome back Stanford Steve and a handful of teams have notable road games this weekend, Steve, the Bears a three-point underdog. What does this tell you about how this game may play out? It's pretty crazy when you think about it, Wendy. Last year, these two teams played in Waco, and Baylor won by 14 and held BYU to 67 rush yards while Baylor ran for over 300 yards. And now you flip it and you mention it. Now BYU's favored. I have to trust Dave Aranda in this position here with the, the mindset he has with his defense, offensive, offensive coordinator Grimes being a former BYU game. I think a BYU offensive coordinator. I think it's a field goal game. That's why I would, I would lean towards Baylor in this game. All right, UNC. Boy, we could talk about that ending all day long last week, but we won't. Uh, UNC goes on the road for the second straight week. Uh, potential trap game for the Tar Heels? Yeah, Mac Brown's got to be shaking his head at the schedule, uh, you know, all summer. And now he's finally in week three. Uh, you know, Georgia State was very impressive to me. I know the scoreboard didn't show up the way they wanted it, losing 35 to 14. But South Carolina blocked two kicks in that game. So when I look at this game matchup, Georgia State did a great job against South Carolina, making them one-dimensional. Kept them under about 60 yards rushing. And so now it's the matchup of finesse at North Carolina against the physicality of Georgia State. I'd like to take the seven and a half points with Georgia State here. I think their defense frustrates Drake May, and I think they keep it close even though North Carolina wins the game. All right, fair enough. Uh, perhaps another fourth quarter like we saw last week. I don't know if anybody can take that. Uh, we'll see. Uh, meanwhile, let's go out west, shall we? The Lincoln-Riley era got off to a solid start. The Trojans rolled over Rice. The final tally, 66 to nothing. Caleb Williams passed for 249 yards, rushed for 68 more, and then hit Addison for two touchdowns. The defense, by the way, did nothing but record three pick sixes. We're joined now by college football reporter Paolo Uge. Eddie and Paulo, uh, listen, it, it's a strong start. That's what we expected from, from this USC offense. But you cover this team every day. What's the ceiling here? Yeah, it's honestly impossible to put a ceiling on this team right now. From the moment Caleb Williams came on the campus and transferred to USC, there seems to be a real comfortability with him, not just in year two of being in Lincoln Riley's system, but also in stepping into his role as a leader, everybody has responded. The wide receiver room has responded. You have Jordan Addison coming to USC in large part because of Caleb Williams. You have Mario Williams. Every, every player seems to have been elevated by not just Riley's arrival, but also Williams' arrival. And, you know, I, I'll say this, Travis Dye, the best way he put it is, Caleb can really do anything. He can run the ball, he can pass the ball, he can even say, he can, he can paint your back porch, he can walk your dog. So basically, the higher that Williams ascends, that's where USC's offense will go. 
All right, I need both of those things, but he's got his hands full right now. Uh, so did the defense, quite literally, three pick sixes for just the second time in program history. Now, I'm not suggesting we'll see three pick sixes again. Nevertheless, I will ask you how they continue to sustain uh, that, that level, if you will, of production. Yeah, just given the roster turnover that USC has had, top to bottom, defense and offense, defensive coordinator Alex Grinch has been really adamant about effort and strain being the the main theme of the defense and that's what he got you know in, in the first game a lot obviously you're not going to have three pick sixes and four interceptions every game but there were plenty of effort plays that he called out as being important as far as the defense building forward that unit still remains the question for USC and facing Stanford this weekend that'll be more of a, a proper test to see where they're at front of the line linebackers and in and, and the backfield as well. I mean, the physicality has been something that USC has been, has, uh, that Riley has preached about ever since he got here, and he's pleased with where they are. Stanford will be the first time we'll get to see it. All right, Stanford will be a test, but if this continues, Paolo, if the first week is any indication, you're going to be a very busy man. So thank you for checking in with us. Again, the Lincoln Riley era off, at least right now, to a pretty good start. Uh, what about the ACC? How are these teams faring? We do know Wake Forest gets their quarterback back. Uh, there may be some questions at quarterback for Clemson as well. We'll channel surf our way through the Atlantic Coast Conference next. You're watching College Football Live, presented by Dr. Pepper. Surf's up, everybody. Let's do a little channel surfing in the ACC, and we'll start with a matchup between Louisville and UCF Friday night, that game right here on ESPN2. These two teams met in a thriller last year when Louisville won on a pick six in the final seconds of the fourth quarter. How about Saturday on the ACC Network? The Clemson Tigers play host to the Furman Paladins. Tigers offense had a sluggish start. Strong word, but it could have been better in their season opener against Georgia Tech but did rebound early en route, I should say, to a 41-10 win. And that's sluggish. That's when you're Clemson. Virginia Tech hosting Boston College. Both of these two, wow, tough losses in their season openers. The Hokies are a two-and-a-half point favorite as they look to avoid starting 0-2 for the first time since 2010. And Boston College tries to fix what ailed them as they fell apart in the last few minutes against Rutgers. And then there's Wake Forest on the road at Vanderbilt over an SEC network. Earlier this week, the Demon Deacons did get good news. Quarterback Sam Hartman cleared to play. This is following off-season surgery to remove a blood clot, Eddie. Listen, always happy uh, when a student athlete gets back to get on the field. Happy for the team as well. But what are the realistic expectations here for Sam Hartman? He's going to be rolling. Coach Clawson said that he had been throwing the ball on the side uh, the last week or so during practice. So he's going to be rolling. That offense against VMI, I mean, you almost forgot that Sam Hartman was the quarterback. They look so good. So when you throw him into the mix, it adds confidence not only to the offense, but also to the defense as well. Yeah, I'm fired up to see Sam Hartman back in the, in the uniform. It's just good for the sport. Really brutal news before the season when we got word that he was not going to start the season. But I think there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. The one thing that I've seen from Vanderbilt was, you know, their offense has improved. And I think Wake Forest is only going to be better with Hartman under controls. I think a really, really high-scoring game is going to be happening between Wake Forest and Vandy. All right, Wake Forest, by the way, opened as a six-point favorite against Vanderbilt, then increased to eight and a half. 
Then, guys, this is how things can change. Stanford, Steve, you know this better than me. Then came the news. Then Sam Hartman was cleared to play. And then as a result, Wake Forest currently a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. Call that a difference maker. All right, if you were wondering if Clemson might make a change at quarterback as we head into week two, uh, you can put that question to rest. Uh, offensive coordinator Brandon Streeter saying, no way. And listen, Steve, I – I said this earlier. I don't want to say controversy. That's ridiculous at this point. Uh, but there were some questions, perhaps, considering, you know, we saw DJU, then we had a season removed, different quarterback, and now it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, how do you think this situation plays out for Clemson, given what's at stake? Well, I still think he did enough good in the game against Georgia Tech, and that's my takeaway from that game, uh, Wendy, Monday night, was I thought Georgia Tech was really, really good on defense, showed a ton of improvement with disruption, getting guys to the passer with minimal guys rushing, and just being active and flying to the ball and making things difficult for Clemson. You know, I think Clemson's left tackle is a stud, but I think there's some other things they need to work on in the offensive line, and that's the things they need to get better to help the quarterback situation. So it's not a surprise to me. DJ's the guy there. Dabo said it. Streeter said it. So, you know, moving forward, if, as long as DJ takes care of business, Klubnik's going to get plenty of time and garbage time, and people could start the conversation, you know, possibly down the road a little bit. Yeah, but they have to say that, right? You know, you have to come out. The guy's a starter yeah. right now. I need to see him have one of those big stat games. I mean, one where he's throwing for 300 yards and four touchdowns, just almost for him, for his confidence to prove that he can do it. Because you haven't seen that since the Notre Dame game. And so you got to go back a year to see mm. that. So it would be good for his confidence because K. Klubnik is going to get into the game. And he's going to light it up. So if DJ doesn't look good early, then that controversy that we're talking about that we're trying to avoid, it's going to start brewing a little bit more. Well, guys, listen, we all talked about the energy and the change in, in the last bit of that fourth quarter. I think that's a little unfair. We know he came in, to your point, Steve, uh, when a different set of players was in mm -hmm. this game. But we, we also know QB1's got to get the job done or else we will continue to have some questions yep. at a program like Clemson. But that, that's the way it works. Everybody knows that. All right, listen. Uh, is it possible there's bad vibes in the bayou? Nah, not if you're on time. Brian Kelly channels his inner Tom Coughlin when we come back and I'll explain. College Football Live is presented by delicious ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Our Saturday night game presented by Capital One, a Pac-12 statement game. Lincoln Riley and number 10 USC take on Stanford in Palo Alto. The 100th matchup between these two rivals, 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific on ABC and the ESPN app. Holly Rowe will be there. She's already sitting down with Caleb Williams. It was challenging, to say the least. Um... I was, expect, I was expecting him to be my coach there uh, for the next three, four years. Um, and so, so him leaving so abruptly um, for sure affected me. And then um, having to make a decision whether to stay um, at Oklahoma was probably been one of the hardest challenges. Um, I helped during the COVID time, uh, you might have seen, is that I helped majority of my class um, get there and, and commit so it was it was it was a bit hard for me to just kind of uproot everything and come out here um, that was probably the hardest part is leaving those guys um, that I 
knew before I got there, and then the guys that the relationships that I built when I got there. So um, that was the hardest part. Um, and then when I actually hit the transfer portal, it was it was really tough after the game. Uh, it was so many questions about what I'm gonna do, and I was I was a bit I was a bit not flustered, but I was a bit uh, like I said challenged in that situation because I really didn't know what was going on and what I was gonna do. So I made a decision just going to transfer portal and see what I was, you know see my options and see what I could do. And um, you know Oklahoma made their decision, um, and then I ended up making mine. Um, I think it worked out for both places. Well, it was a one-two punch. Of course, he was talking about his head coach, Lincoln Riley, at Oklahoma making the decision to go to USC, and then he entered the transfer portal, Steve, and made the decision to follow. That being what it is, uh, listen, Stanford and USC, once they tee up this ball game, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, do, do you see – But what's the best way to say this? Can we have hope if you're the Cardinal? <laughs> Yeah, there's been hope. The problem is, is a new regime comes in, and that's why USC has made this move. You know, Stanford's had pretty a lot of success, you know, in the Clay Helton years when he was at SC. So when I look at SC on tape this past week against Rice, and I know it was Rice, and we touched on it earlier in the show, but they didn't have to show a lot offensively. We mentioned the, the three pick sixes they had. I thought Caleb and the offense looked really crisp. I thought the offensive line was really good, you know, in sync. And on the defensive side, they, they are really active. They have speed all over the place. And when I look at Stanford, their defensive line is a big question mark. And that's what worries me from a Stanford standpoint is you need to disrupt Caleb. And I don't think Stanford could do that with bringing minimal guys. I think they're going to have to bring, you know, some exotic blitzes and stuff like that. So the test is definitely at hand for Stanford. But that's why you got Tanner McKee as, you know, as an NFL quarterback. He's got to make plays. They're going to have to score a lot. That's for sure. And we'll see if they could do that Saturday night. I, I didn't think I was going to be able to get a word in, Steve. Geez. <laughs> now I, I, I get you. I, look, that USC offense is, is lights out, man. I cut on the tape, and they just got Jordan Addison over the best receiver in college football last year. And if you didn't tell me his number, I wouldn't have known which one he was. And so they got yeah. so many playmakers out there for Caleb to use and dink and dunk the ball to that it's going to be too much for Stanford. Uh, listen, they don't call him Stanford Steve for nothing, Eddie. Of course you can't get a word in. That's the way it's supposed to work. Listen, you guys remember Tom Coughlin. I know you do. What's he say? If you're not early, you're late. I'd always try to remember that. Well, uh, apparently the media down mm -hmm. in Baton Rouge didn't get the memo, and here's what happened with a, when a few trickled in late uh, to hear Brian Kelly speak. With that, we'll, uh, we'll open it up to this late-arriving uh, media crowd that uh, must have uh, enjoyed the, the weekend. Um, that's usually ten dollars um, that we put in the kitty um, for. We, we'll have a big bash at the end of the year at my place. <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with winning. I think it has to do with being on time. All right, here we go. You ouch! That ended, Steve. That ended. I ended that discussion. I got to tell you, that's uh, that's gutsy. Bill Belichick threw me out one time because I didn't get sunglasses off in time. I mean. Flat toss me out. So I, I, I give him credit. Uh, but listen, Brian Kelly, they're going to they're gonna write this shift. But a little bit, I don't know if we call it a rocky start, but maybe just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, she, 
she tweeted out, you know, afterwards, they were having some fun before, you know, the season started. So there's a good relationship there. That, that's just Brian Kelly being Brian Kelly. And it's amazing to me that people haven't caught on that he does, he's a little quirky in his ways. And, you know, he's stubborn and, and, and has a lot of self-belief. So it'll be very interesting to th see how things play out in Baton Rouge. Yeah, he just put a little bit more pressure on himself. I, I mean, to act like that. Mm -hmm. I know he's probably joking around a little bit, but it did rub people the wrong way. So he's, he's added pressure to himself, but I think he's going to turn this thing around. All right, guys, speaking of which, uh, we did a little poll, uh, if you will, unscientific, and obviously these SEC coaches are doing pretty well. We know he's in the ACC, but Davo got a new deal. Nick Saban got a raise. Uh, this is what people po folks think uh, if SEC coaches were not, were not football coaches <laughs> and the deep south injury lawyer takes the cake. I can't even. I can't. Uh, any disagreements here? Eddie, I'll let you go first. No. Yeah, me. I'm just looking at Lane Kiffin in the flight attendant. I'm like, normally flight attendants are supposed to be friendly. He doesn't look like he wants to get your drink order at all. Listen, if Lane Kiffin is my flight attendant, myself is getting off that plane. Like, there, there is just like, like no way I'm keeping myself in that seat. Steve, no, not happening. I just couldn't imagine the energy in the classroom if Kirby Smart really was a Christian school history teacher. He'd be bouncing off the walls and having people do one-on-ones in the classroom. Uh, Steve, what would you be? If you weren't Stanford Steve, what would you be? Jim. A what? Jim teacher? I don't know. Oh, Jim, Jim teacher. teacher. That, that is the e Okay, yeah, you and me both. Golfer. Eddie, easy way. Out. Yeah, I'll be on the LPGA tour. Who can stop me now? See ya. <laughs>